Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. Every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Coded Bias explores the fallout of the MIT lab researcher, Joy Olamwini's startling discovery, technology-based bias is real. Modern society sits at the intersection of two crucial questions. What does it mean when artificial intelligence increasingly governs our liberties? And what are the consequences for people AI is biased against? Those are two of the primary questions in this terrific documentary film called Coded Bias. We're joined today by the director, Shalini Kantaya. Shalini, welcome back to Film School Radio. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you. I... uh, Thoroughly enjoyed your uh, other documentary, Catching the Sun, and I'm so glad you're, you've come back to join us again. How did you get to know Joy Molamwini, and was that the inspiration for doing the documentary? You know, I think all of my work sort of has to do with whether disruptive technologies make the world more or less fair um, for the marginalized. And so with Catching the Sun, I was sort of exploring the promise of small residential solar for uplifting the lives of working people. And with Coded Bias, I sort of stumbled upon the work of Joy Bolamwini and Kathy O'Neill, who's the author of Weapons of Mass Destruction, sort of stumbled down the rabbit hole of this underbelly of big tech. What I found in the making of this film, which was so terrifying, is that automated systems were were increasingly outsourcing our decision-making to machines. And machines that haven't been vetted for accuracy or for racial or gender bias are already making decisions that are as important as who gets hired, who gets fired, who gets health care. I began to see how data rights dovetails with basically every civil right that we enjoy as citizens of a democracy. And that's why, um, you know, sort of having laws that govern AI and, and govern these algorithms is so important. Well, let, let's go back to the research that uh, Joy did in terms of determining what racial biases were coming out from her from her research. She's quite extraordinary in that um, what I sort of witnessed in the making of Coded Bias was Joy's groundbreaking research. You know, she's like this uh, MIT media lab student who's just trying to make like something like a Snapchat filter work on her face, (laughs) stumbles upon the fact that widely deployed facial recognition, this is not stuff that's on a shelf awaiting approval, this is stuff that is being deployed and being deployed by police departments and by law enforcement and sold to the FBI and to ICE. And the fact that she both uh, thanks to the scholarship of her and to Nick Hebrew and Deborah Raji, I think both uncover this bias and then have the bravery to sort of speak truth to power right. and notify these research companies of the racial bias, of the gender bias in their right. technology. And 
take the response. And I, and I, and I think that was phenomenally brave. And because of that, I think we're seeing a sea change in how these companies are approaching this. And also because of the people in the street who are pushing the dialogue forward on equality. One of the things that I found fascinating about, that I find fascinating about this subject is how little the general public has in affecting what technologies are being deployed in our society. Even governments, even people in government, as we see in the film, we see congressmen and senators who are in the dark as to what the ramifications for all of this are. And why do you think that has taken place? How do, is this a, a function of, of businesses following sort of a profit motive in order to find out as much information and, and not being regulated in, in terms of what they're doing? Or wh- why do you think it's evolved to this point? Well, I think Kathy O'Neill says it best in the film when she says it's about power. All of the power is on, on one side. And this is a sector of American society that is largely unregulated. I have more laws that govern my conduct as an independent journalist and filmmaker than Facebook does. And that can't be the case. I, I, I find that their refusal to protect truth in political speech was a, uh, a betrayal of democracy, of dem- democratic values in Facebook and our democratic process. As, you know, even in this moment where the only way we can sort of be together is through this virtual space, we can't opt out of these technologies, right? right? right. And so we shouldn't have to choose between sending our kid to math class and then having invasive surveillance. Like, we should have some protections as citizens as we interact more and more as our public square moves to platforms like this one. In the film, there's a a lot about trying to reclaim this this part of our society, of our interaction with with technology. But as I learned from another documentary, The Great Hack, uh, companies like Facebook and, and others have something like 4,000 data points on each individual and how in the course of trying to find out what those data points are, that's, it's behind this veil. We don't, e- we don't even know what these technology companies know about us, which is, isn't that seem like that would be the place, the first place to start is what is it that they know about you? Absolutely. And I think, you know, in Europe, they have some laws like the GDPR that actually give them some right to know what companies know about you and who they're selling it to. And some of us have some rights because our data transits through Europe. Um, But there should be some universal data rights around how our data should be used. Right. Well, and part of the part of the issue around this, the data that that is gathered about us, is these companies you just you're talking about Facebook, Amazon. There's a number. Of, what is it like? There, you, they're in the film. There's identified, I think, about ten companies internationally, and seven of them are American. Three of them are Chinese. Is that about right, or is it is that right? Or I'm not sure. Yeah, something like that. And it is a transnational issue. And I think what you just described, I think, is one way in which we can 
begin to get a handle on it, it really should be a function of some kind of international body to govern what these data companies are able to collect on you. But it, but it's also such a powerful political force. I guess what I, what I'm trying to get to in the film, we do see people pushing back and there is, there has been some progress on this, but um, it's, it's just a matter of recognition. I think that's one of the great things about coded bias is it, it, one other way in which we can find out about exactly the scope of this issue is by, by watching your film, Coded Bias. And also, let's get to really the core of it, which is the bias against women, women of color, men of color. That's really the heart of the film. And so talk about the impact that is having on, on the lives of those people whose information is being gathered. Well, I think what I learned in the making of the film is that people use past data to predict the future. That's sort of what AI does. And so constantly these algorithms are making predictions based on who it thinks we are. Right. Um, I think I looked up one recipe on YouTube and then everything in my YouTube was Indian. (laughs) Because it was like, it had made a prediction about who it thought I was based on one search in the, in, in the um, algorithm. And so I feel that the past inequalities get encoded. And that's what I realize is that we've looked upon computers and these algorithms to make decisions for us as unbiased and flawless. And what I realize is that they're just made by human beings and we encode their biases, right. or not. Um, we all have them. Right. So I, I think that what I came to question was this whole race towards efficiency, and can we bring more of our humanness um, to these technologies? There's a terrific sequence in the beginning of the film of the sort of the origin uh, story for uh, artificial intelligence. It goes back to the mid '50s at Dartmouth. And, and you show a picture of this sort of roster of people that are involved in the very first, and they're all older white men. And their idea of, their initial idea for artificial intelligence is a machine playing chess, right, against a person. And how that sort of is, is the beginning of it. But as you said, you, you, well, as you can see in the film, you can see almost immediately how bias would would become part of the data set of the, the the measure of success the measure of marketability the measure of who gets a loan who doesn't get a loan you can see it just in the sort of the fundamentals of the beginnings of artificial intelligence is that a fair statement yes i mean i think that for me i really realized how a small group of people really de- technology on the whole world and changed every industry in the world. I think that the film makes a really powerful argument for inclusion as something that's not just like good for the pictures, but also makes us more innovative, makes us more competitive in the industries of the future because these technologies are deployed by everyone. So a wider cross-section of humanity should be making decisions about how these technologies are made and deployed. 
I want to remind our listeners, we're speaking with the director of a new documentary film called Coded Bias. That would be Shalini Kantaya. The film comes out in November. Am I correct in that? Is it, you're, there's some virtual screenings between yeah. now and then, but is it November? There's some festival screenings that you can find out about it codeofbias.com backslash screen. Um, and then the, we'll have a theatrical release at the Metrograph and that's coming up November 11th, yeah. 2020. Let's, let's, the, the film uh, is an all doom and gloom. It, it, the film walks us through a lot of these different issues and there are a lot of people, as I said earlier, you know, in pushing back against this, uh, activists all over the world. Are we seeing more voices in, in, in this discussion? Are we seeing more voices and hearing from others in, in terms of how this uh, bias is being addressed? Absolutely. I think that we have, in part because of some of the, the brave and bold and badass women in my film, <laughs> I think we have a moonshot moment to change big tech. And it's up to us. And, and thanks also to the people who are marching in the street and engaged citizens all over the world to fight for our democratic ideals, our democratic values being in these technologies encoded into these technologies and not um, invasive authoritarian surveillance. Is there a way forward, a future where technology is benign I mean, is it, are we ever going to eliminate, do you think we'll ever be able to address issues surrounding privacy um, in a way that, that is human <laughs> it, or what? How does that, how's that going to play out? I, I think that the tech is, I love tech. Let's just start there. I'm a techie. I'm a sci-fi fanatic. I love all that stuff. I love imagining the future of tech. All of that stuff is so exciting to me. But the thing is, is that we also need ethics. And ethics is not something that you can do once and say it's done. You know, it's something that you have to keep evaluating over and over. And I think with technology, the tools themselves are not benign or authoritarian. It's all about how we deploy them and decide what are the uses? How do we want to use this technology in a democracy? These are very powerful tools. They make the East German Stasi look like they had a light touch. Like yeah, yeah. we should be concerned about how they get used in a democracy. And there should be some rules in place and some government, some elected officials who have oversight on how these technologies are, are used and deployed on people. So I think that that's what I've learned about this film. And to me, it starts with public education. So I hope people will watch the film, yeah. share the film and, and talk uh, about the film at dinner because I feel like that's how the, yeah. the change. Is, is this something that on the order of the UN um, Declaration of Human Rights, inter, you know, universal human rights. Is it rise to a, that kind of a level? Should that be a plank within some kind of an international agreement? Sort of the, we have the treaties for maritime, we have the treaties for all kinds of different things internationally. Is it possible to kind of drop an international human rights, and especially in relation to technology and surveillance? Do you think that's a possibility? I hope so. That would be a beautiful thing. I, I, uh, we're 
actually working on just a broad framework like that because I think something like that would be an incredible. Um, it almost has to be, really. I, the U.S. can pass some laws. No, and, we certainly should. And I think we saw in Zuckerman's appearance before the, I think it was the Senate committee about a year ago, how little they seem to know about the actual issues at stake and how little they seem interested in even finding out more about it. And I think this is this is a failure of our political system. It's a failure in the part of our political system because more and more we seem to be handing over governance to corporate interest, right? The privatization of government um, function is in some part a byproduct or this is a byproduct. The sort of looking the other way, terms and conditions may apply kind of life that we now live is really, um, we need to address it. You're absolutely right. I think it's a, it's, but to me, it's a, it's a failure of the political will of the ruling class to do something more. Uh, there's one, before I let you go, one last uh, story that I've told in the past, and I, since you're a sci-fi person, I, I, you may know the, uh, the actual story, but I, uh, it was a story that I read. It might have been Asimov. It might have been, one, it was one of the big hitters in, in, uh, in sci-fi literature who talked about God and the devil came to, a, came to a point where they realized that they could never completely win the soul of humanity one way or the other. And they decided that in, in order to sort of settle this great battle, that they would introduce technology into the mix. And with technology, the humans, us, we could, do, we could use it for good or for evil. And that would be the way that, in which the determination of what, this, what, this, what the nature of man is, or man and mankind is. Does this sound familiar? Does this sound a story that you've heard before? No, I don't think I've heard this story. Okay. Well, that basically was this. I mean, basically what the story was, we'll let them decide whether they're good or evil, meaning we'll give them technology and, let, and let's watch what they do with it. And I always thought that was a pretty good, and that's a pretty good frame to understand humanity. We can use technology. It's benign. It is by nature passive. Right, but we get to use it the way we we choose to use it. I was talking to someone, and I was like, "Well, what happens when the sum total of human intelligence is in a robot?" And we decided what was precious about humanity was our ability to make mistakes, <laughs> and 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 um, and be flawed and have empathy. Yeah. And the thing is, is that I would not say that intelligence without empathy is intelligence and so we have to be careful about what charge we give this on this this machine that's not capable of empathy to make such decisions that require human empathy and i think we're in a moment of time where you know the movement on the streets is one of empathy you know it's a movement of yeah humanizing uh, yes humanizing and, and, and I think that um, we all have a chance right now to talk about what it means to create a more human-centered culture, a culture that's more focused on the inherent value of human beings instead of a race towards efficiency. Yeah, I, I think, thank you, that's a beautiful answer. I, I look at it in terms of perfection, technology is, I think, striving for some, some whatever that might be, a, perfect system, a perfect program. And I think, in my own opinion, what you just said, is it follows in with what you just said, which is 
perfection is kind of fascistic. And I think that humanity's ability to make mistakes and recover from those mistakes, I think of humanity's ability to write a poem, right? To be, to, to, to be flawed to, are the things that I don't think technology will ever completely be able to replace or supplant. And I think what you, what you said is, yeah, I agree. I agree. Well, it's a wonderful, wonderful film coded bias. And uh, I think it, it's, it's a, a, once again, in sort of the lexicon of, of documentary work that's being done around this issue and around our, our future, really, uh, it's one you, you, sh- you definitely need to see. It asks a lot of questions. And fortunately, in the film, we see people with some answers. And that's good to know. So I want to thank you so very much. Anything else you'd like to add? Or are we um, okay? All right. All right. Well, I want to thank you so much for coming back. Uh, the film, again, is Coded Bias. We've been talking, talking to Shalani Kantaya, and I really appreciate your time today. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for your time. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio.